You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. Divide and conquer. This is a quote that you've probably heard before. It's actually credited to a guy named Philip of Macedon, which may or may not sound familiar to you. We've been studying 1 Thessalonians, and Thessalonica is kind of the major city in the first century in Macedonia, where Philip of Macedon kind of did his thing. Um, Philip of Macedon was the father of Alexander the Great. You may have heard of him, who was taught by Aristotle. You may have heard of him. Uh, but this, this guy came up with the idea of divide and conquer. He had a lot of enemies, <clears throat> and his mindset was divide and conquer. And I think the Thessalonians would have been familiar with that phrase, with the phrase divide and conquer. And what does it mean? What does divide and conquer mean? Some of you may have read the book The Hobbit. Some more of you even have probably seen the movie adaptation of The Hobbit, the three movies that they made that were each like three hours long for one 310-page children's book. Um, For those of you who complain about my sermon length, um, you know, if you'll go and watch, Glenn does like these Hobbit marathons and has people come over to his house. Well, let's watch all, let's watch 12 hours of Hobbit movies in one day. And I'm like, okay, that's, yeah. Anyway, if you've ever seen The Hobbit, watch The Hobbit, read The Hobbit, um, there's a part in the book where these dwarves, there's all these dwarves, and they get caught by these trolls, and they get put in sacks, and, they're, and the trolls are they're going to eat the dwarves, right? Everybody knows that dwarf is tasty, um, and, and these trolls knew that. They're going to eat these, these dwarves, and, and, and Gandalf the wizard, I feel like such a nerd, is that the trolls and the dwarves and the wizard. Um, sorry for those of you who find me nerdy, but I am what I am. Uh, so Gandalf the wizard is, there, is kind of hiding, and he's trying to figure out how to get these trolls to not eat the dwarves. And the trolls' names were William, Bert, and Tom, by the way. If you read the books, like uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, it's like, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, of the tribe, blah, blah. But these people are just Bert, you know, Tom, whatever. I don't know why. But anyway, Bert and Tom and, and the other guy, uh, they're, they're sitting there. Uh, thinking about how to cook the dwarves. And so Gandalf starts kind of like throwing his voice and say, oh, we should do this, or we should do that. And he starts getting the, the trolls to fight with one another. So instead of focusing on uh, killing and eating these dwarves, they're fighting with one another. He gets them to fight with each other so long that it turns to day, and as everyone knows who's super into fantasy fiction, dwarves can't be in the sunlight. So they turn to stone and supposedly are still there to this day. If you go to Middle Earth, you know, you'll find them. So, is it not real? No. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. Gandalf divides and conquers. He gets them to start fighting with themselves. He get, causes division between the, the, these trolls, and as a result, he's able to conquer. He's able to, to come in and find a way to beat them instead of giving them, they could have, if they just wouldn't have been divided, they would have had a nice dwarf dinner. Nice day's sleep, they would have been good, but instead, they allowed themselves to get divided and therefore conquer. That's dividing and conquering. It's a strategy to weaken your enemy. Now, without getting political, 
Um, for those of you who were alive prior to, say, everybody carrying one of these cell phones around, like back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, those of you who were alive back then, would you say to yourself, if you were thinking, you don't need to answer this out loud, uh, but that, um, that the United States of America is stronger now or was stronger maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago? Most people would say it's stronger, it was stronger then. And the reason that they would probably say that is because progressively we have become more and more and more divided. Ideologically, the things that we think, the things that we believe have become more divided. Now, it's not the first time this nation has been divided. We even had a civil war at one point. Uh, but we, we are very divided right now. <clears throat> and the more divided we are, the less confidence we have in the strength of the society. Right? Division keeps us from feeling strength. I remember playing, playing football. I played football when I was young. Um, not well, but I did play. And I, in the middle of a game one time, I remember we're playing in the Kiggins Bowl, I think, and, and something happens. I think it was the Kiggins Bowl. I don't know. I, it was a long time ago. Um, but I get in an argument with my own quarterback. Like, we come off the sidelines, and we're yelling and screaming at each other. I don't remember what it's about, but I'm sure he was wrong, and I was right. That's all I know, for sure. But we're fighting with each other and whatever, Right? And I don't remember whether we won or we lost the game, but I doubt we were arguing because we were doing so well. Um, so we probably lost. And the other reason we lost, would have lost, is because we were divided. When the team starts fighting with each other, the chances that the team is going to be good and is going to be effective is very low. For those of you who, who remember back certain uh, sports teams, basketball teams, I see this with probably more than anything else, where if they don't have the right chemistry, it doesn't matter how much talent there is, right? They don't win. You get, you get teams, or, or USC football, I don't know if any of you are USC football fans, but for years I would notice that they'd have these, they'd have like the number one, two, and three best guys in the entire conference at every position, and yet they would lose games because everybody wanted to be the guy. Everybody wanted to be, they were divided. They weren't, they weren't together. And because they were divided, they were much easier to conquer. They're much easier to conquer. When we're divided, we can be conquered. Um, you may have experienced the pain, the anguish that comes from being divided from the people in your life who should be your allies, who should be your supporters, who should be the ones who are walking beside you, who should be your friends, and yet there's division there, and there's a lot of pain that goes along with that. You may know the feeling of loneliness. It's possible. In fact, it's likely. Did you know that we have a loneliness epidemic? A loneliness epidemic in our culture. If you put the words loneliness epidemic in a Google search, you will find lots of articles describing the loneliness epidemic and maybe giving some ideas about how we can fix it. But there's an epidemic of loneliness. There's an article in Psychology Today. It was titled, What You Need to Know About the Loneliness Epidemic. And it says that in the last 50 years, rates of loneliness have doubled in the United States. Almost half of respondents reported feeling alone, left out, and isolated. One in four, 25% of Americans, say they rarely feel understood. And one in five, 20% of Americans report rarely or never feeling close to other people. Imagine walking around and rarely or never feeling close to other people. If these stats are right, there's a it's a decent-sized chunk of the people who are sitting here or who are listening online or whatever that feel that way. Loneliness is harmful 
to our health, we found out that it has these terrible health effects, right? It's got, it can get cardiovascular problems, uh, premature death, poor sleep, uh, reduced reasoning and creativity, more anxiety and depression, poor ability coping. And yet, even though it's bad for us, it's growing across every region, across both genders, across every age and every ethnicity, the epidemic of loneliness is growing. People are feeling more and more and more lonely. And a lot of us think, well, that's the old, really old people, right? The really old people that people have forgotten about, those are the really lonely people. Well, it's true that there are people who are elderly, precious people that we do not spend the time that we should spending time with and, and giving our attention to. And there are people who have been forgotten by their families and left alone. That is true. And there is loneliness there. My wife goes and sees, she's very faithful about going and seeing her grandmothers uh, regularly. And because she knows that my mom used to, to take me to go see one of my grandmothers. We go, she, she was in a home in Portland and we'd go Saturday, I, Saturday, I'm a kid. I'm wanting to play sports. I'm wanting to do whatever. She's like, we're going to go see Grandma Field. Now, it's not that I was a big jerk. I was a little jerk, but I wasn't a big jerk. But the problem with going to see Grandma was she didn't know who we were right? Um, and so she'd ask me who I was five or six times when we were there, and I'm thinking, she probably wouldn't have known if we didn't show up, but she would have. She was lonely. My mom knew that, and even though she knew that she probably wasn't going to remember that we were there, it was important enough to, to visit the lonely. So that's important. That's, a, that's sort of a side note, but the fact is, is that it's not true that all the people who are lonely are old. That's actually not true. A New York Times article uh, quotes studies of over 3.4 million people that have been analyzed by Dr. Juliana Holt-Lundstad. And this, and this uh, research shows something. It shows this. Loneliness peaks in adolescents and young adults, as well as in the most elderly of our culture. According to NBC News, Generation Z, that is people born between the mid-90s and about 2000, something like that, Generation Z, and millennials, which is the generation before that, right, born around 1980 and going forward, are super lonely. These young folks who should be the least lonely are super lonely. My brother lives in a town called Austin, Texas, um, and it is the place to be these days, according to everybody. U.S. News & World Report in 2018 said it is the number one place to live in the United States, Austin, Texas. Apple is spending a billion dollars to expand into Austin. It's going to be the biggest place other than California for Apple. The tech scene and the music scene is just off the hook. It's, it's incredible. If you're into those things, you want to be in Austin. And the average age is 32.7 years old. It's young. It's hip. It's cool. And yet it ranks at the top for lonely people. And Generation Z and Millennials right at the top of that list, at the top of that list. So the young people, because if you watch TV, if you see commercials or whatever, it seems like if you're young, it's like, woo, everything's going good. So what's going on? But the fact is, the fact is that these people are the most lonely. They're the most lonely in our culture. They're rating highest in these feelings of loneliness. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. See, here's the thing. We're more connected than we've ever been, right? When I was younger, if I wanted to talk to a friend or a family member that lived in another state or even just out of my area code, it was long distance, right? Some of you remember long distance. It was like, you remember this, like $4 a minute to talk to grandpa. 
And if you walked in the house and you're making noise and doing whatever, and, and someone was on long distance, like, hey, I'm on long distance. And you're like, oh, dang, long distance. Today's a fancy day, yo. It's on long distance. Everybody be quiet, dad's on long distance. That's what it was like, right? Um, at least for, for those who weren't rich, it was very expensive. Now kids today are like, long distance, what is that? I don't know what long distance is, right? They don't know what you're talking about. It was a real thing, long distance, okay? Now we can call, text, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Instagram, woozy swoozy. I made that last one up. It's like 15 millennials, like, where's the app store? I got to, not on woozy swoozy. Missing out on life. It's all the same to me, okay? I friended a guy on Facebook recently who had like 4,500 friends. These people, I mean, they've got like around 5,000 friends. I'm thinking, I'm not sure I've ever spoken to 5,000 people in my life. you got 5,000 friends. Wow. But I wonder if they could tell me the names of the people that live next door. Don't know about that. We are super connected, easily connected, anytime, all the time. Kind of a nightmare, actually. I remember the days when you could just go somewhere and know nobody was going to get a hold of you until you got back. It was amazing. Yes, if your tire went flat or whatever, you had to flag somebody down, and people were actually nice usually, unless they murdered you. But besides that, you could, you could flag people down. They'd help you out with your car. You didn't have to have a cell phone to do everything, and it was quite wonderful. But now we are super connected, super connected, more than ever before. We have more ability to communicate, and we're not less lonely being more social and having 5,000 Facebook friends has not made us less lonely. It's made us more lonely. In the time that this has been happening, we've doubled the amount of loneliness. Now, that's pretty serious. When I hear that the young people in the coolest city in America, these are the most connected people, and they're the social media mavens and whatever, and they're the most lonely, all I can think is divide and conquer. There's some divide and conquer going on. So what's the solution to the loneliness? What would culture tell us? The New York Times article I mentioned earlier gives some ways people have tried to help others with loneliness. Take a class. Get a dog. You notice they don't say anything about getting a cat. <laughs> not going to help you with loneliness. They do not care about you. I'm telling you, if you fell asleep for long enough, they would eat you. Okay. <laughs> They're like, give me the box. I'm going to take my little poops in there. You're going to clean it up. I'm going to laugh at you. That's, don't give me any cats. Okay. Do volunteer work. Okay. This is what they say. They even have a program in Britain called Befriending, where people will meet one-on-one -on -one with lonely people, which is really nice, right? They go and someone says they're lonely, they're struggling with loneliness, so they'll send somebody to meet one-on-one -on -one with them and spend time with them. This is what they found. In a study of 14 trials of befriending, no significant benefit overall was found on measures of depression, quality of life, degree of loneliness, self-esteem, and well-being. They did not get better. They did not get better. Our culture is getting lonely. Our culture realizes it's a problem. You can look on the screen at all the Google searches, epidemic of loneliness. We recognize it's a problem, and our culture does not have the answer. Does not have the answer. But by God's grace, we have the answer. We have the answer. It's right here in Scripture, in our passage for today. So if you can get your Bibles out, please. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat pocket somewhere around you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that one home with you. That's, that's our gift to you. But if you'll turn to 1 Thessalonians, 
It's in the New Testament, Glenn, if you're looking for it. Chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 9, and we're just going to read two verses here, just verse 9 and 10. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That's our passage for today. Brotherly love, taught by God. Do you know, I'm not sure if you do, so I'm going to hit you with some, some truth here. Do you know that you have an enemy? Do you know that all humanity, every single person that has ever been born on this earth has an enemy? Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This passage is telling you that you have an enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This passage talks about the wiles of the devil. Now, for some of you, let me translate. That's old people language for the devil has tricks and deceit and strategy that is aimed at destroying you. That's what he has. That's what he's doing. Some of you are thinking, but aren't we too smart in this day and age to still be believing that there's a devil that's trying to mess with us? No, we are not too smart to think that. We are smart enough to recognize the obviousness of the fact that the devil has wiles and is trying to destroy us. If you can't see it, you're choosing not to. You're choosing not to. If we're smart, we'll recognize and we'll learn how to wrestle well in the power of the Holy Spirit and the protection of Christ's church. We talk about a shield wall pretty often here at Acts Church, which is just an extension of this image of the armor of God. Right? We have this image of this Roman soldier putting on this different armor of God. But Roman soldiers didn't fight alone. What was, what was a Roman soldier who fought alone? A dead soldier, right? If you went out where you got all the armor on, you're like, here we go. That other army is going to be like, well, that was easy. Done, right? Single soldier, dead soldier. What did, what did they, how did they fight? They fought in an army. Fought in an army. So when we extend the armor of God, we extend it into the idea of locking arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we aren't divided but united and can battle well against the wiles of the devil. Because we have a clear enemy, and he has a clear plan, and we can see his plan happening before us in our culture. Divide and conquer, divide and conquer, cause division, cause isolation, cause loneliness, get people to feel alone, get them to feel worthless, get people to feel like no one understands them, get people to feel like there's no one that they can talk to that will understand, then divide them and cause anxiety and depression, make people not trust one another, make them afraid of one another, make them too embarrassed to reach out and seem like they need help, make them feel alone, and then it's addiction and pain. And literally, with all the health problems that are associated with loneliness, 
It all ends in death. Pretty good plan if you want to destroy people. And that's what we see happening. But against all that, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. God is telling us something amazing here. I want you to click into this. We're going to break it down. Brotherly love is the word in in Greek, Philadelphia, like the city, okay? Um, If you've been to Philadelphia or lived there, it's probably not a great example of brotherly love, but it is the word for brotherly love, okay? Um, In the Greek, it referred specifically to love between siblings, between siblings. God is saying that we are to love each other in the church like we are supposed to love our siblings. And immediately some of you are thinking, hmm, my sibling? I've told you all how, uh, just recently, a few weeks ago, I told you how I tried to get my brother to eat cat poop um, by telling him that it was cookies. Uh, My siblings and I did not always get along when we were young. My brother, because he was the youngest and he was the baby and everybody thought he was so cute and blah, blah, blah. I got my own issues. I got a counselor. Don't worry. Um, He would use his charm to mess with us, with me and my sister. He would tell my mom, listen to this. He would tell my mom that he loved to eat liver. That's what he would tell her. I love to eat liver. Liver. People literally eat liver from cows. Okay, I don't know if you know this. The organ that filters all the nasty stuff from the cow. They eat that. Somebody was, somebody was sitting there like, huh, what's that, what's that part of the cow? They're like, oh, that's the liver. Oh, well, what's, what's, what's the liver? Oh, it's that, have, you ever, have you ever smelled a cow? Yeah, I smelled a cow, yeah. Well, all that stuff, that, that's going to get in the body, that's going to get filtered right into this organ. It's all going to stay right there. Oh, well, we should eat that. Yeah. <laughs> that's the conversation that happened for somebody, right? Liver. Liver. So, <laughs> if you've ever seen cows you know you don't want to eat that animal's liver, but people do, okay? And some of you are thinking, I actually like liver. Go see a doctor. There's something wrong, <laughs> terribly wrong with your taste buds if you like liver, okay? Um, liver tastes like what cows smell like. That's just what I'm saying. That's what it tastes like. My brother knew that my sister and I could not stand liver. And here's the thing. He didn't like it either. That's how nefarious he was, Right? But he would ask my mom to make it, because he was the youngest, just so he could have some power over my sister and I. Philadelphia, right? (laughs) Brotherly love. And we were millennials, right? So it was not, we didn't get the whole, oh, you don't like what your mother made, David? Oh, well, here's my credit card. Go, Go to Grubhub and just get yourself what you like, my little prince. There was none of that. Any of you have met Pastor Dave, can probably imagine that did not happen at my house. You will eat what your mother made and you will like it. Right? You have no idea how much ketchup you can ingest until you try to choke down a hunk of cow liver. Okay? So, brotherly love. Brotherly love. Now, I know that a lot of us do have messed up relationships with our siblings. I'm actually cool. My siblings and I get along really well now because they can't make me eat liver anymore. Um, So that's good. But what do we call relationships with our siblings that are all messed up like that? We call them dysfunctional, right? I know, trust me, I put the fun in dysfunctional. 
I know dysfunctional relationships. We call them dysfunctional because we have an idea that a functional brother and sister, brother, brother, sister, and sister relationship is actually something great, right? Is actually something good and healthy and loving and kind and life-giving. When we think about the ideal relationship between siblings, we think of it as something that is really good. We have each other's back. We can depend on each other. We can be honest with each other. I mean, who can you trust more than the people who watched you change or peed on bed sheets until you were 12 years old, right? My brother and sister, they laughed at me. It was so horrible. Still, counseling, I'm working through it, right? And I don't pee as often in the bed anymore, so. <laughs> this is the love relationship that we're supposed to have with the body of Christ, with each other, with believers who are, who are Christ followers. We're supposed to be in Philadelphia, in brotherly, sisterly love, with the people in the church. This is what the Holy Spirit is urging. Have Philadelphia. Have brotherly, sisterly love with one another. Now why? Why sibling love? New Testament uses uh, four different words for love. This is the only one that refers to sibling love. It's a specific word in the Greek that refers to sibling love. Why? Why are we supposed to have sibling love for each other? And here's the deal. When you become a Christ follower, other Christ followers are your siblings. They are your siblings. And you're like, wait, wait a second. I'm married to a Christ follower. Anyway, you'll think through that in a second. You're, mar you're married to your sister. It's cool. Whatever. Um, I saw that more in Tennessee than when I was there than, than here. But All right, all right. All right. All right. Okay. So, some of them listen to these online, so I'm probably going to get an email. But uh, you are actually siblings. You're a sibling with every Christ follower that has ever lived or that lives anywhere on the earth right now is your brother or sister. It's a big, big family. And we're supposed to have the highest, best kind of brotherly, sisterly, Philadelphia sibling love for one another, for every one of those people. Some of you know the Vanderplus, Dave and Susan Vanderplus. Um, they have two kids, Lucas and Amanda. And they, Lucas and Amanda probably have one of the best examples of a sibling love relationship I've seen. Even though Lucas is like 6'4", and Amanda's like 4'6". They're totally different in so many ways, and yet they have this super tight bond where they love each other, they support each other, they have each other's back. That's the kind of love, if you're looking for what it looks like, it's a special bond. It's a special bond. And that's what all of us are supposed to be like with each other. And the Thessalonians actually were doing well in this. Said, so you already know this, right? Not only are you doing this there within your local church in Thessalonica, but they were actually doing it throughout the region of Macedonia to other believers, not just the believers in their own little church. They were showing that kind of love. And the Holy Spirit was encouraging them and saying, do it more, more and more, more of this. He wanted them to love like siblings more and more. And it says they were taught by God to love that way, which is I find really interesting. And, and what I make of that is, this is something that we understand spiritually. This isn't something so much that you get taught in a classroom and I say, here's brotherly, sisterly love. Somehow we just know what it's supposed to be. Like as I'm talking, you have, if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is in you giving you some indication of like what this should look like. And maybe even you're feeling where you're missing it, right? It's something that's spiritual. It's taught by God how we're supposed to love the people sitting next to you and in every other church, in the city, in this metro area, in this country, and around the world. We're supposed to love all of them, even like California people. 
all of them, we're supposed to love. Half of you smiled and half of you frowned. That's about uh, how many Californians we have, I guess. Um, why? why? Why do we need each other and need to love each other as brothers and sisters? What's that about? Because if we're loving each other with a sibling love, a family sibling unbreakable love, we cannot be divided and conquered. We can't be divided and conquered if we're loving with that kind of love. God knows that. That's why it's here in the scripture. Love each other with that Philadelphia, and no one is going to break that up. If we have the whole armor of God on, and we're locking arms, and we're loving each other like brothers and sisters, we cannot be divided, and we cannot be conquered. Brotherly, sisterly love is a friendship that can't be broken because it's genetic. And you say, wait a second, you just said it wasn't genetic, it was the other thing. Um, But you're related to one another through spiritual genetics. God is your father. Christ saved you, your, your body, soul, and spirit. And when your spirit was made alive through Christ in him, through his death, burial, and resurrection, through the forgiveness of your sins, the same Jesus Christ did that for you, did that for every other Christ follower. And in that, you share a spiritual genetic code. And it makes you truly brothers and sisters in Christ. You are bonded much more deeply than you realize. Much more deeply. You're thinking, I don't even know this guy over here. He's probably weird, okay? I'll be honest with you. I know most of these people. Um, and, and, and we're all different, right? But he's your brother, and she's your sister. That's the way that it is. And here's the thing. Friendship like this, brotherhood and sisterhood are necessary for certain kind of people. You know what kind of people they're necessary for? People who are going to live together eternally. People who are going to live together forever had better have this kind of love for one another, or it's going to be a long time in heaven if we're having problems, right? If you're made to be eternal, then you're made to love each other. Eternity, heaven, all of that, that is going to be an amazing time of closeness in relationship, both to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to each other as brothers and sisters. You know what will not be there? Never. Loneliness. Never. In Christ, if you are pressed into Christ, there's no loneliness. If you're experiencing loneliness, we can help you get pressed into Christ. It shouldn't be there. So the question is, for us, why is it so hard to have this sibling love? Why is it so hard to love our brothers and sisters like brothers and sisters? It's a good, good number of reasons. The first one I find is dishonesty. If you want to have a relationship that is powerful and effective, you have to be honest. Any of you that have relationships where you're dishonest, you know how much of a division it causes. It causes a big division. And yet Satan, in part of his plan and scheme to divide and conquer, he is going to put things in, in the way to try to tempt you to lie to deceive, to be dishonest. And here's where it really comes in. Hidden sin causes dishonesty. Hidden sin causes dishonesty. If you have sin that you're doing that you know you ought not to be doing, you're going to want to keep that a secret. And as you keep that a secret, you have to start building a wall of lies around it with the people around you. And as you do that, you're breaking relationship. 
from, hey, I thought you were my brother, I thought you were my sister, to I'm breaking relationship with you. I'm pulling away. And then what happens is that dishonesty is felt by others as betrayal. They feel betrayed because you haven't been honest. And then they feel like you've been disloyal. They don't want to to experience the pain that disloyalty causes. And so they start to fear you. And they start to fear being vulnerable with you. And then we just don't trust each other. And eventually for a lot of people, that leads to people just not trusting God either, which causes isolation. So now we're isolated from people and we're isolated from God. Divide and conquer. That's what happens. We're divided and conquered. You know what the antidote is to all that? The antidote to all that is forbearance and forgiveness. Even in our families of origin, most of whom are at least somewhat dysfunctional, okay? Again, I know most of you, right? You know me. No, no secrets here. I don't know if a perfect family. But even in those our brothers, our real like blood brothers and sisters, we, we tend to be willing to forgive an awful lot and to look past an awful lot in our blood brothers and sisters, but you have spiritual brothers and sisters that you chose to have when you chose Christ, and I'm not sure you're willing to forgive them one thousandth of what you're willing to forgive your idiot brother for, right? Now, I don't have an idiot brother, but for those of you who do... Um, Why is that? Why are we not willing to do that? Here's the deal. We talked about the shield wall. Refusing to forgive divides the shield wall. When there are two people in the church who won't lock arms with each other, they're like, no, you've offended me too much. Whatever the thing is, I'm going to stand this far away from you. We're dividing. We're letting letting the enemy in, and we're going to get conquered. When we can't link arms together, We're going to get conquered. Refusing to forgive divides the shield wall. It causes rifts, it opens ranks, and we're divided, and we get conquered. Let me just tell you something. As your pastor, I cannot tell you how much it hurts me when I see divisions that rise up between you. When I see two of you, whether it's a husband and a wife, whether it's a kid with their parents, whether it's two people from a life group, whether it's two people, whatever it is, when I see people get hurt, and when they're hurt, they act in hurt, and I start seeing things like division and even hatred, lack of forgiveness, lack of mercy, lack of forbearance, I cannot tell you how much it crushes me and hurts me because I want you to be united. I'm not saying, by the way, that Christ's body here is full of that kind of stuff. It's actually not. There's some of it because there are humans here, Right? but I'm not saying it's full of that. But when it is there, when I do see it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Because when you won't forgive one another, I know that we can't march forward in strength. We're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. We have to be willing to go out and achieve the mission, which is seeing people come to know Jesus Christ and having life. But to do that, we got to go into battle. And when any of you have things against one another, are thinking negatively about one another, and we have all done it, there's not one person, if anyone's in here thinking, well, that's not me. It is two. There's somebody who you have been like, well, that person's doing blah, blah. All of that, anything that causes division is keeping us 
from walking forward in strength. Instead of saying, Jesus, you take us forward, we're saying, I'd rather hold on to my grudge. I'd rather hold on to my anger. I'd rather hang on to this offense than to bring the shield wall tight and go kick some butt. And it breaks my heart when that happens because I know how much pain and hurt it causes. And I know this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You were a sinner, an enemy of God and a rebel, and he died for you while you were in that state. If God is willing to do that for us, and we remember what he's done for us, and we're supposed to have brotherly, sisterly love for one another, we should be forgiving one another. We should be forgiving one another. Jesus is our lover and our savior and our friend, and he has shown us how we ought to treat each other. And by the way, our Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us to forgive. It was not a suggestion. There's, no, there's nowhere in Scripture that would make it seem like when Jesus says to forgive that it's a suggestion. Like, do it, don't do it, whatever suits you. Live, be you. You do you. That's not, Jesus never said that. It's not how he rolled. It's a command. And remember, our whole mission as a church is to see people get saved and baptized and discipled. And in getting discipled, it means that we're teaching each other how to do all that Jesus commanded. One of the things he commanded was that we forgive. He commanded that we forgive. Don't be like that unjust servant who's been forgiven so much and yet will go to his fellow servant and choke him out over so little. But that's us sometimes. That's us in our pride and our arrogance and our easiness to be offended. And then we cause rifts. And Jesus knows, God knows that the heart attitude that's willing to hold grudges the hard attitude that's willing to hate or to despise or to be angry or to turn up our nose or to not, to not love anything but love for brother and sister in Christ will divide the church. Divide and conquer. We'll be divided and conquered. It is part of the wiles of the devil to get us to hang on to offenses. Did you know that? It's part of the wiles of the devil to get us to not forgive because he knows it causes division. In the Corinthian church... There was a dude who had committed a serious sin. Serious sin. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write a letter to them, the letter we call 2 Corinthians. Okay? If you got your Bible out, we're going to be in chapter 2, starting at verse 5. And Paul lays out the need to forgive so that the schemes of the devil don't work to take advantage of the church. Listen to this. He says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which is inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things." Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Why? Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul is specifically, the Holy Spirit through Paul is specifically telling us that one of Satan's devices to take advantage of us is to get us to not forgive. 
to not be merciful, to not love. If he can get us to not love and forgive and be merciful, he can divide us and conquer us. We know because scripture tells us that when we love one another like brothers and sisters, when we love well, the message goes out to the world. It's evangelical. The world out there goes, why do they love each other so much? Look how they love each other. This is weird. But the one thing that I can say because it's so abnormal in this world is that if they love each other like that, God must be real. Scripture tells us that. That people will believe that God is real because of the love you have for one another. But if you won't forgive and you won't have brotherly love, then the opposite will happen. By implication, right? If one thing, if loving each other says the world God is real, what does when his church doesn't love each other say? That we aren't believing that he's real. We aren't walking like it. We aren't trusting him. If he says forgive and you say no, God, you don't know. You don't know how bad I was hurt. Kind of a dumb thing to say to God, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. How many trees have you made today? Right? He knows. And yet he's called us to forgive. And it's not like he's just called us from some place of far awayness where he's this white bearded whatever. He's looking at. He came and died to forgive you. He's foreborn a lot. He's forgiven a lot. And he's calling us to do the same so that we cannot be divided and conquered. We're called to Philadelphia to sibling love, to love each other in perfection as the brothers and sisters that we are. When we do that, we are strong. When we do that, we are strong. Now, maybe you today, uh, you know, I don't know all of you. Some of you are new. Maybe some of you today, um, you feel lonely. Maybe you want to experience brotherly and sisterly love the way it's meant to be. Every Christ follower in this room is my brother or my sister. And I have been called to love every one of you, to stand by every one of you, to protect and defend every one of you. And you should have some comfort in that because God is working through me and through the elders of this church to do that for you. There should be some comfort in that. I will love you and I will serve you against principalities and powers that Jesus Christ has already given us the victory over as a strong shield wall with the full armor of God and the closeness of brothers and sisters. Now, if you want that, if you want to walk together in one accord, in unison, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in Christ, not divided, you can be part of that. You can be part of that. If you're not following Christ yet, if you haven't been made new spiritually, Jesus Christ died for you. You're here for a reason today. It was not an accident. He wants to make you right with God. He wants to give you eternal life with many, many brothers and sisters. He doesn't want you to ever be lonely again. He doesn't want you to experience that. You can be my brother or sister. You can be the people in this room's brother or sister. And it may not sound like much, but I tell you what, this is quite a crew. And there are millions more like us all over the world. You can be part of that spiritual DNA. You don't have to spend another minute being lonely. Jesus Christ can save you. You can have his Holy Spirit giving you life today, and he's here now for you. And so because the love of God is here, because I love you, because I want you to experience life in Christ, 
and to be in a place where you're protected as our brother or sister, where you're not out there on your own, dead soldier, lone soldier, dead soldier. I want you to plug in. I want you to know Christ. I want everybody to just bow their heads for a minute. I want you to think about, if you don't know Christ, if you have not made a decision to come to him, to follow him, to serve him, to accept the forgiveness that he has for you because there's nothing you've done that he won't forgive. If you haven't done that yet and you want to experience that, today is the day for you. Today is the day. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, It really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.